welcome back to the Animal Rescue Podcast. This week I talk with Karen of the Kentucky Equine Adoption Center, and we talk about the basics of horse rescue and what it takes for to care for a horse. Uh, you can learn more about the Kentucky Equine Adoption Center at kyeac.org. And stay tuned because there will be a part two coming soon. All right, Karen, thank you so much for joining me on the Animal Rescue Podcast. You're welcome. And so you work with the Kentucky Equine Adoption Center, right? Yes. Uh-huh. We're located in uh, Nicholasville, Kentucky, which is just outside of Lexington. Okay. So how did, it's, is it all horse rescue? Yes. Um, we are an all-breed horse rescue, and which means we'll take in any kind of equine. So uh, miniature horses, donkeys, mules, and horses. Uh, we have, we lease a farm on 72 acres, and uh, we have 50 horses at pretty much any given time. Oh, wow. How did you yes, get into it's very horse? Busy. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, how did you get how into did, horse how rescue? Did you get it? Who, me personally? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, um, when I was a kid, you know, I loved horses, took horseback riding lessons, um, never owned a horse, but always liked them and uh, did that through high school. And then I went to school and college at uh, Colorado State University and I major was in forestry. So prior to working at the Kentucky Equine Adoption Center, I worked for the National Park Service for 31 years. And about 10 years before I left, I had gotten back into horses uh, and owned a horse. And I thought, you know, I'd like to see if I could get into equine rehab, but, you know, didn't really know how to do it. So, or how to go about it. So it turned out that our daughter went to University of Kentucky uh, and majored in equine business. And at the time I was living in uh, Washington state and I was the superintendent at Olympic National Park. So I drove her out here to drop her off. And interestingly, through one of my National Park Service connections, I was introduced to a woman here who works for another nonprofit called the Equine Land Conservation Resource. And she had been in this area for years and she heard about the job uh, opening at the equine adoption center, which was the director. And so I drove over and I talked to some people and I eventually talked with the president of our board and I got hired because there was a vacancy. Wow. Yeah. Very, very uh, serendipitous. You know, I had no idea I would end up at this place, I knew I wanted to be somewhere probably in Kentucky, but yeah, uh, Lexington, central Kentucky is really, really where it's at when it comes to anything related to horses. Okay. So how did the Kentucky Equine Adoption Center get started? Um, that's a good question. So of course I wasn't here then, but yeah, in 2006 and 2007, uh, 12 people from the Lexington area got together and wanted to do something to help horses that needed homes. And at the time, um, you know, we, the country was going into another recession of 2008. And 
there were a lot of horses that needed homes. Uh, people have lost their jobs. They were downsizing, you know, for a wide variety of reasons. There was a big need for to help these horses. And so they formed a nonprofit, uh, Kentucky Equine Adoption Center, and that was a legal, legally recognized organization starting in 2008. Um, and so they started and opened their doors to lots of horses. And uh, I came on in 2012. So um, we have really grown our operations since then. And we placed 120 horses last year, which is pretty good for you know an organization like us that, that only has one facility. So these people recognized the need for it and um, met it and set it up very professionally and very in a very organized way uh, as a nonprofit. And so we've been doing business here uh, since 2008 at the farm that we're located at right now. Oh, wow. So you yeah. said in a year you had adopted out 120 horses? Yeah, last year. Yep, last year we adopted out or transferred 120 horses, which was a 20% increase from the previous year, which is pretty significant, yeah. especially uh, due to COVID. Uh, nobody really knew, you know, how that was going to affect us. And it did not affect adoptions. And our surrender rate is um, higher, but that's because we've been placing more horses. Um, as yeah. soon as a horse leaves, we have horses that are waiting to come in. So we had over a hundred applications for horses last year. Wow. And this year I think we're I think we're right on track. Actually we've probably passed it now. Um so the whole COVID situation has been interesting because we've been much busier and have done very well from the ability to place horses and, and also financially. So it um I don't know if it was people had more time to stay home and uh think about adopting a horse or whatever, but it, it's, and if you talk to other rescues in this area, I think you'll find the same thing, whether it's small or large animal rescue. Yeah. Now, horse rescue is a category of rescue that I, I know absolutely nothing about. <laughs> okay. Um, I can tell well, you about dog and cat rescue. Yeah. But horse <laughs> rescue is just a completely different beast. Um, yeah. Well, it's very similar to small animal rescue, the concept anyway. <laughs> okay. So then there are fosters in, in that? Well, the way we work is um, we take in horses that are abused, abandoned, neglected, or from owners who can no longer take care of them. And these owners are usually or have usually experienced some kind of basically disruption in their lives. They've uh, they're either moving, lost their property, somebody passed away, um, they get older, a lot of people's finances are um, not in good shape, and that's one reason why they choose to surrender, and that's really about 50% of the horses we get, and 50% of the other, or the other 50% of our horses that we get come from abuse and neglect situations, so our goal is to match the right horse up with with the right adopter and new family. And so we will take in any breed of horse and we're able to do a very extensive rehab from a medical standpoint because we have great veterinary partners in this area. 
there are three large practices, um, Rudin Riddle Equine Hospital, Park Equine Hospital, and Haggard Equine Medical Institute. So all of these partners help us take care of horses that many times would have died if they had never come to our facility. Um, we will put the time and the money into some of these horses or into these horses that need help. And for the real extreme medical cases that we get, I would say we're successful over 90% of the time helping them uh, get better and then eventually get adopted. So the whole rescue concept for us is we take in horses from these types of situations. Uh, they go through rehab if they need it, and then they go into our training program, and then they all get adopted. So we're not a sanctuary or retirement facility for horses. Every horse at our place will eventually get a new home. Um, and so when people apply to adopt, they apply just similar to the way you would apply for a dog or a cat. And we thoroughly check people out. Um, and when they are approved to adopt, they come and look at horses. And like I said, we work really uh, individually with every owner to try to uh, give them what they need and also give the horse what it needs. Um, all of our horses come from situations that are uh, that we sometimes know information about, but many of our horses come from situations where we really don't know what their past was. So they all have you know needs, and working here is a really gratifying experience because I tell people when they start to work here, you will never go home at the end of the day and think you haven't done at least one good thing for one horse. Oh, I can imagine. In some of these cases that, um, you know, these neglect situations, I mean, how long does it take to get these, some of these horses back into shape to be able to start training them in order to get them ready to adopt out? Yes, that's a good question. Um, of course, it varies from horse to horse, um, depending on, you know, what kind of condition they are when they come. When horses arrive, they all get examined by a veterinarian. It's called an intake exam. So we have baseline information on, on this horse. Um, often, these horses come in with medical issues that need to be resolved. And sometimes it's just a matter of feeding the horse more, yeah. uh, giving them access to good water and good hay and, and uh, good feed. And then other times it, it, they are pretty extensive medical situations. And we're, we're working on a horse right now that came to us in December of last year, and he still is not fully healed due to his injuries. Um, oh, and wow. we're willing to put the time in. If we think the horse has the potential to recover, then, you know, we put the time into helping it and, and getting it going. So we don't have a specific time schedule that horses have to um, be adopted by. Some horses are, we've had horses adopted in a couple of days, and then we've had horses that have been with us for well over a year, and, and then they get adopted. So it's, um, it's very much kind of an assessment process where we look at the horse's age, their overall health, their potential limitations, and we do all of that in consultation with our vets. So uh, it's really great to be, to be able to help some of these horses whose really, um, you know, chances were dwindling before they got here. Yeah. Are there some cases, I know you said that you guys aren't a sanctuary or a, a place to retire horses out to but are there some cases where 
you know, the horse just wouldn't be able to be adopted out or um, maybe there are some medical needs that it's just harder to adopt them out, but they still have the chance of a quality of life. Do you guys just let them kind of enjoy their years there? Well, um, every horse eventually gets adopted. So nobody stays, you know, forever. Um, We have different categories of horses. And if there's a horse that gets better, but cannot be ridden for whatever reason, you know, Mm -hmm. it's physical condition, but they're still sound enough to, you know, exist, go out in the pasture, eat grass, that kind of thing. We call those companion horses. So those are non-rideable horses for whatever reason. Yeah. But horses don't have to be ridden for people to, you know, enjoy them and get meaning, you know, develop meaningful relationships with them. So we always have about five to 10 companion horses. And then the rest of our horses, about 40 or so, are either capable of being ridden or, you know, are in some kind of rehabilitation. Um, And interestingly, back to COVID again, (laughs) the desire for our companion horses has gone way up, which is very interesting because uh, those horses typically stay around a lot longer than horses that are rideable. And uh, we've probably doubled the number of companion horses that we've been able to adopt out just in the last year. So um, if they can't be ridden, that's not a deal breaker at all. Okay. A lot of people want companion horses for themselves yeah. or other horses that they have on their property. And, you know, it's not uncommon to get a call from someone whose ho- uh, one horse died and their other horse is really lonely. Yeah. So they, they call us and if it's a good match, you know, they adopt them out. So um, it's interesting to, to see that happen. And uh, you know, these horses go to good homes. Yeah. It seems like even though horse rescue and adoption is a very niche form of rescue, mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. it almost seems easier to adopt out horses. Than small animals? Yeah. Well, um, we, we don't do the volume of adoptions that your local, you know, humane society would do, you know, they, I mean, I suppose, they yeah. handle they can, they can adopt out hundreds of horses, or not horses, hundreds of animals, you know, every year. Yeah. The thing about horses is they are expensive Yeah. and they do require a lot more land for support than obviously a dog or a cat would. So people have to be in those types of, you know, situations and have those resources available to them where they can take care of a horse. And, you know, one of those is money. <laughs> and yeah. we ask people, you know, what do you do for a living? what's your annual income? And we've seen it, you know, all over the board. And we want to make sure that they are able and have the knowledge to take care of horses. So I wouldn't quite say it's easier um, because it is, like you said, it's a niche of a certain type of animal. And, you know, here in Kentucky, there are hundreds, thousands of horse owners. So we uh, only take horses from within the state of Kentucky, but we'll adopt out to any state. And so, um, you know, I wish we could place hundreds and hundreds of horses a year, but to do that, we would need a much bigger facility and uh, more staff. So we're, there's all, there are always horses in Kentucky that need help. You know, that need is not gonna go away. But um, if we if we did have a bigger facility and more people, you know, we would certainly uh, help more horses. That's kind of what limits us right now as 
as with any, you know, business, whether it's a nonprofit or commercial business. Yeah. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about what it takes to care for a horse? Um, I know I always hear that it's very expensive, but I think sometimes when you hear an actual number, it's easier to Mm -hmm. process and put that together. Right. Yeah. So, um, if you own a horse and it stays and you have property, you know, your own farm or whatever, and that horse is pretty healthy, doesn't have any, you know, huge major issues going on. Uh, and of course, this depends on where you live, you know, in the state, but you're looking at at least three to $400 a month just to take care of that horse at a basic level, which involves, you know, feed, hay, water, vaccinations, uh, dental exams, that kind of thing, just the regular maintenance. So you're looking at about, you know, 3,500 to 4,000 a year just to, you know, take care of a horse. If you board that horse at a facility, then obviously it's going to be a little bit more and boarding horses really range. You can find what's called self-care pasture board, where you're basically just running out of pasture and you are taking care of the horse yourself for like $150 a month up to full care, which is where the barn and the, the facility takes care of your horse. You just come out to ride. Uh, you know, that can be anywhere from 500 to $1,000 a month. So you'd oh, have to wow. add that extra. Yeah. Um, so that's basically how much it costs. And the average horse every year obviously needs food and water. That's a no-brainer. Yeah. Uh, they also get yearly vaccinations. And here in Kentucky, where we live, yearly vaccinations are about $45 actually about $70 a horse. And then every year a horse gets examined by um, a dentist and gets their teeth uh, floated, it's called, to make sure that their teeth stay in good shape and uh, they don't have any sharp points um, and are not uneven. Uh, That usually costs about $150 a year. And and then you've got the farrier care, which is a farrier is a person who treats and takes care of the horse's feet. So here in central Kentucky, uh, if you have a horse that doesn't wear shoes, you're looking at a basic trim, which is like trimming your fingernail yeah. uh, for $30. And if they do need shoes, that can be anywhere from $100 to $200. And that work has to be done every six weeks because horses' hooves grow just like our fingernails do. You know, they don't stop. Yeah. And um, they're always growing, so they have to be taken care of on a very regular basis. And we get a lot of horses. where that has not happened and hoof problems are a big issue because horses have to have good feet in order to stay healthy yeah well I know I mean with dogs dogs, if you don't trim their nails I know it can lead to arthritis and then I can only imagine what not keeping up with hoof trims would lead to for a horse yeah yeah, what happens, the hoof is always growing and we've had horses come in, come in where there's probably eight inches of extra hoof that has grown out. And what happens is that extra hoof curls up like a little slipper. Oh. And when it gets bad to that point, that changes the whole weight the horse is, the whole way the horse stands. It yeah. puts pressure on different parts of their legs that don't exist when the hooves are trimmed and kept in good shape. And, you know, there's an old saying, you know, no hoof, no horse. And that's really true because horses have to be able to stand on all four legs and distribute their their weight pretty evenly. And if you have a horse that only has three good legs, 
and one bad leg, they're not obviously going to put weight on that bad leg, but they're going to absorb a lot of the other weight on their other three legs. And for long term, that's going to affect them. Uh, and what happens in those types of situations, if the horse is not taken care of properly, they can develop a um, condition called laminitis and even founder. And laminitis is where the, there's a, actually a connective tissue between the outer wall of the hoof and the inner bone of the hoof, and it's called the lamina. And that's what supplies blood to the horse's hoof. It's extremely vascular. Wow. And when horses' feet get too long and they get sore, that lamina gets irritated. So you could kind of think of the lamina as your um, fingernail bed. You know, it's yeah. that tissue between your fingernail and your finger. Same idea with the lamina. And when that gets really irritated, it's very painful. And think of how it feels if you stab your nail underneath your fingernail with like yes. a stick or, you know, something sharp. It's very painful. Same idea with horses. So when that happens, um, you have to uh, really monitor the horse's diet and also get a farrier in so the farrier can start to shape. Um, shape the hoof, keep it trimmed, and sometimes they can put what we call corrective shoes on the on the horse, which will uh, give it the support it needs while those while that hoof is is regrowing. Yeah. Um, hooves grow out very very slowly. Like a, it takes about a year for a horse to replace its entire hoof. Wow. Um, so these hoof issues can drag on for you know for months and months and months, and that's why farrier care is so important. And uh, if that lamina is stays irritated and does not get addressed, then what will happen is it will lose its ability to connect the outer part of the hoof and the inner bone in the hoof. And that will basically cause that inner bone of the hoof to start rotating or dropping. And that's called founder. And when founder happens, uh, it can be, it can be fatal if it's not taken care of. So a lot of times horses that develop this condition are developing this condition either because they have, they live in filthy conditions or they eat too much and get obese and that's putting too much pressure on their uh, feet. And sometimes it is because of, you know, an injury or a trauma to the area, but um, it is fixable and correctable if it's, you know, if it's found early enough, but hoof issues are a big problem because a lot of these horses that come to us haven't been taken care of properly. And, that's one of the first places it suffers. Wow. I just yeah, thought horses needed great. to wear hooves or wear shoes and that was yeah. it. Like no, <laughs> no, no, they no, they have a lot of horses go what we call barefoot. They have no shoe on. And um they uh you know have really good feet. Uh shoes are needed when the foot needs more support or the hooves are in bad condition and you know the horse needs to um have a little more support. Yeah. And I think of that as if you're barefoot, it's like you're walking around in flip-flops. And if you ha if you need a shoe or if you're a horse and you need a shoe, it's kind of like walking around in boots. Just gives the foot more stability and uh, helps the horse bear its weight a little bit easier. Interesting. It's very and working at this place has been amazing because I've seen things <laughs> from a veterinary standpoint that nobody would ever see. It's, you know, it's like that pretty amazing what happens to horses and how they can live through it and survive. Yeah. yeah. That, yeah. I would never have thought of any of this really, to be honest. 
Right. No, it's, it's, uh, you know, once you do it for a while, it's not complicated, but they do have, you know, a lot of needs that have to be attended to on a very, you know, consistent basis. The other area that needs a lot of attention in horses is their teeth. Um, And horses' teeth grow continuously, just like a beaver. If you've heard of beaver's teeth, they, they grow constantly as opposed to our teeth which don't you know we get our baby teeth they they drop out our permanent teeth come in and we're done but horses are actually born with a certain amount of tooth that is in their skull or in their mouth that constantly erupts as they get older and so about an eighth of an inch of new tooth will come in each year as the horse gets older and there is a process called dental floating and what that is is a equine dentist comes out and it's it's like the horse is going to the dentist and getting its teeth filed down in very layman's terms yeah if horses teeth are not filed every year those teeth will continue to grow and they will develop sharp points on them which especially on their molars which can be very painful to a horse who's trying to eat, but getting stabbed by a, you know, a sharp Ooh, piece yeah. of bone in their mouth. And so the, the dental float should be done at least uh, once a year. And what the dentist is going to do, they will, because those teeth have grown, you know, over the last year, they smooth the teeth out that need smoothing. They make sure the upper and lower jaw meet the correct way so a horse can eat properly. And it's a fairly simple process, but it's a very important one. And you know, it can be kind of pricey and it's $150 to have a vet come out and do that. Uh, we get a lot of horses in that are extremely skinny and emaciated. And the first thing we do is we look in their mouth. Chances are their teeth have not been taken care of. And when their teeth are not taken care of, the uh, horse does not have the ability to chew its food properly. Uh, sometimes can't eat as much as they would like to. And they don't digest the food the way they would normally because they can't chew properly. And the first sign of all that is the horse loses weight and it's lost weight because it can't chew correctly and it's probably in pain. So it's amazing when we get horses like that because we'll get their teeth floated, which is basically a long file that goes in there by the dentist. And within two weeks or within several days, you can see the horse start to gain weight. It's pretty amazing how fast they start to recover. Yeah. So teeth and feet are really important in taking care of a horse and they get overlooked a lot partially because people don't know uh they might be ignorant of exactly what's needed and partially because you know it costs money and you know every every six weeks you got to shell out some money to keep your horse's feet in in shape and if you have more than a couple horses you know that can be kind of kind of expensive yeah wow this is blowing my mind um yeah if well, anyone can see you. my face, my jaw is on the floor right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot of care. Um, you know, we like I said before, we're able to take care of horses who really had no other chance. And, you know, they come in, they look terrible, and we are so grateful that we are in existence so we can help them because many people can't. They don't have the resources or whatever to take care of this horse. And like I said, nine times out of 10, we can turn those horses around. And and when they leave to a new adoptive home, it can be very um, bittersweet. We're very happy that they've made it and they found a good home, but uh, it, it can be a lot of work to get them to that stage. 
Yeah, I can. Yeah. So I want to go back to a, a little bit and talk about, so we talked about the cost of what it takes to care for a horse. Mm-hmm. Is there a minimum necessary for land? Well, that's a good question. And it really varies according to where you live in the country. Um, in Kentucky, we um, have an amazing uh, landscape as far as grass and pasture goes. Um, in Kentucky, when it's springtime, you can almost watch the grass grow overnight. It grows so fast. And the reason the grass is good here, and the bourbon, I might add, is because um, subsurface in Kentucky, there's a lot of limestone rock. And that limestone rock acts as a good natural filter for water. And that promotes very, very lush growth and very lush pastures. Now, when I say in Kentucky, I'm pretty much talking from central to western Kentucky. Eastern Kentucky is a little bit different because you're getting you know, into the Appalachian Mountains. Yeah. But um, that limestone, those limestone rock formations are uh, very good for producing uh, good grass because the water is filtered naturally. And so we recommend here in this state that people have an acre per horse. Now, if you live in the high desert of Nevada, where grass doesn't grow like it does out here, you know, you're going to, we will adopt out to people that have less than an acre per horse. In Kentucky, you don't necessarily, if you have good pastures, you don't necessarily have to feed uh, anything besides grass in the summer. In a place like the high desert of Nevada, you would be feeding hay, you know, pretty much all year round. So it really varies according to where you live. And we're very sensitive to that. Obviously, somebody puts an adoption application in from California and they don't have an acre per horse, but they live in an area um, and, you know, that we are familiar with, like the desert, and they can still provide for the horse. They have the resources and the money. You know, we're going to adopt out to them. But if you live here in Kentucky, uh, we recommend an acre per horse. And, you know, I would say, this is kind of anecdotal, but I, I would say the majority, at least 90% of our people have that much land. A lot of them have their own farms. And if they don't have their own farms, then, they, you know, they board. So, um, you know, I've lived all over the country. And, um, you know, before I came here, I had my horse at a boarding facility. And she probably had maybe, I don't know, a third of an acre. Um, so she, she was fed hay year round and she did fine, you know, wasn't any big deal. So really varies geographically. That's interesting. I guess I would have thought that you would need several acres per horse. Well, you do, if you live out West in the desert, you do need, you know, several, if you live like in the deserts of Texas, Nevada, Arizona, Utah, um, those areas, you will need several acres per horse. Um, yeah. if you're keeping the horse you know, on your own property, because, you know, there's just not that much grass or forage. Right. So it really varies. Yeah. Huh. That's, <laughs> this is all just so interesting. Yeah, um, it is. It's, I love working at my job. I bet. I bet. I, so, I mean, I've, I've grown up seeing horses um no one I knew really had them um Mm -hmm. and I've I've gone on a trail ride or two but that is kind of the extent of my knowledge of horses Uh 
So this is, this is really helpful to better understand just how complex it can be. I mean, everyone's always heard it's very expensive to have a horse, mm -hmm. but to actually hear what it takes to care for a horse properly and, you know, everything that goes into that is just, it's mind blowing. Yeah. And, you know, it can, when you do it for a long time, it's just, you know, it's pretty natural because you know, it has to be done. But if you're a brand new horse owner or a brand new rider or somebody really new to being around horses, but wants to learn and wants to eventually own horses, there are good ways to do that without actually, as I say, jumping into the deep end of the pool and, you know, start living on your own farm. And yeah. one way to learn more about horse ownership and to learn what it takes is if you're in a facility that has a leasing program, you can either lease from this facility or lease from a, a private owner. And that's how, when I got back into horses after like a 30 year hiatus, uh, the barn I was taking riding lessons at had those opportunities. So I actually leased a horse for a couple of years from a private owner. And basically leases are such that say you have a full lease on a horse. That means the owner is allowing you and only you to take care of that horse, ride it, take lessons with it, you know, whatever you want to do. Yeah. Uh, sometimes there are, exist what are called half leases where you might share that horse with another person. And lease agreements are different all over the place, but um, it's a good way to learn what needs to be done to take care of a horse, but you're not taking on the full responsibility of horse ownership. So for instance, uh, the owner may pay board and uh, feed on the horse, but you may be responsible for scheduling the farrier to come out every six weeks and take care of the horse. So it's kind of like partial ownership, yeah. um, even though the horse really doesn't belong to you. And it's a really good way to learn how much it takes to take care of a horse so that you're not overwhelmed when you first start. And when I was a kid, those that didn't know, and that whole concept wasn't really um, a thing, but when I got back into horses, and now that's probably been, that's probably been, it's over 20 years ago. Um, I leased my first horse and it was the best thing to do because once I decided to try to own my own horse, I, you know, I knew what was involved. I knew what horses needed and what their schedules were and, and that kind of thing. So as a new person into horse ownership, it really helps if you're, uh, if you have a support system of friends, you're at a barn where they, where they can help you and, you know, it's not hard once you know what has to happen, but there is a lot that goes into it, you know, for sure. Yeah. Now, what about if people want to get into horse rescue? Mm-hmm. Well, um, we are a nonprofit, which means we get no funding from the state or the government, federal government. Um, our revenue is, comes in from a variety of sources. So we have grants that we're given. We have uh, special event fundraisers. We have donations, you know, private donations, which can either be cash or in-kind donations. And then we have a direct mail program. And direct mail is the mailing program, uh, a mailing program where you get, you know, solicitations from different organizations during the year. It's really important as a nonprofit that your revenue stream be uh, diversified and distributed, you know, pretty evenly, you cannot rely on just one type of revenue to fund your organization. And because there's never a guarantee that, you know, that money's going to show up every single year. Yeah. Um, so 
as the director, I work really hard to make sure those revenue streams are consistent and somewhat balanced. So we're always looking for new ways to engage people, um, tell them what we're doing, you know, sharing our mission and hopefully sharing our love of horses so that they want to be involved and they want to be a part of that. And that involvement can be anywhere from volunteering, you know, once a week, uh, you know, for years. It can be donating equipment, uh, hay, feed, food to us, and it can be, you know, a cash donation. So there are a lot of ways for people to get involved. But you have got to have all your administrative processes and policies in a row so that you uh, will get funding. And grantors, the people that give you money via grants, are much more um, sophisticated and are expecting organizations to be much more accountable than they were, say, 25 years ago or so. So we, um, you know, we have good budgeting processes and good operational processes so that when we ask for money, those grantors can see that we are, you know, a mature and, you know, financially sound organization. So we're not for profit, but obviously we need enough money to keep the operation going and we need enough money to have a reserve should there be some kind of emergency that comes up. Right. Um, so it's, it's challenging because of every year that goes by, you know, yes, you can, you can count on some grantors to come through every year, but things will change. And sometimes that, you know, depending on where the money's come from, sometimes that revenue source may dry up for, you know, who knows whatever reason. And yeah. so you've got to be able to have enough other sources of funding to, you know, to stay afloat. Um, and it can be, you know, it's, it's definitely a job to continually find diversified ways to engage people and get their support on a, you know, on a regular basis. And we do that through social media, through podcasts like this one. Uh, we have a webcam on our property. Uh, cool. We, you know, are very community oriented and have, we, are, we do tours of our facility. It's just a lot of different ways to get people um, engaged and, and supportive. Um, so that's, it is different from running a for-profit company, um, but it's really rewarding. I mean, what we see that goes on here every day is amazing. Yeah. I can imagine just the transformation. Yeah. Even, even after a few what days. I'm always amazed. Yeah. And what I'm always amazed at is, you know, some of our horses show up and you know, they, look, they look terrible. Mm -hmm. And it takes months to get them back on their feet. And at the end of that, they still like people. I'm always amazed yeah. at that. They will, they're grateful and they don't hold grudges. Now, of course, there's some mean horses out there. <laughs> right. with any animal, you know, right. but the majority of the horses, if you show them love and you give them some, you know, some, like I said, decent food and, and water, when they turn around, they will give back to you. And they still like people. I, I'm always amazed at that because some of these horses have come from very bad situations and have not been treated right. And, you know, a human being might hold a grudge the rest of their life, but horses don't. It's pretty yeah. amazing to me how that works. Yeah, that's very cool. All right. So I know we've talked a lot about the rescue. Where can mm -hmm. people go to learn more, though? Well, again, a variety of ways. Um, we do have a website. 
if I type in Kentucky Equine Adoption Center, uh, that is our official website. All of our horses are listed there. Uh, all of the information about adoption is there, as well as volunteering, uh, our mission, who we are, what we do. And then I mentioned we have a webcam on our uh, yeah. farm. And that, I was talking about how sometimes things are you know, pretty serendipitous. Um, the webcam that we have on our farm broadcasts 24-7, and it was donated and installed to us by a company called, or nonprofit called Explore.org. And Explore.org is the uh, web-based presence of a private family foundation called the Annenberg Foundation. So if you go to Explore.org, you will see webcams all over the world watching animals. And about four years ago or so, a board member from the Annenberg Foundation uh, contacted us through one of our board members and wanted to know if we would be interested in having a webcam on our farm. And they were looking at Kentucky specifically because of its you know, equine reputation. Mm-hmm. And we had someone um, come from that organization and check us out. They also went to several other farms to check them out and they decided to uh, put their webcam with us. That webcam broadcasts all over the world, and there's a chat function, so we can communicate. We've communicated with people from Norway, Japan, Russia, uh, Australia, and that is huge because that is getting our message out to the world. And if you go to explore.org, we're in the Zen Cam section because it's so relaxing here, <laughs> um, and it's really fun because. People will watch these webcam, this webcam and they'll get to know the horses in the field. We'll get comments from people like, uh, just to let you know, the top board on your fence broke off and it needs to be fixed. Oh. I mean, it's pretty, pretty fun. And that is been, you know, has been really amazing to be able to interact with people from all over the world. And I would say the majority of the people that watch that aren't even from Kentucky. Um, and they have webcams up in Alaska, in other countries, all over. So it's, that is an amazing place to go just to see our horses on a daily basis and you know kind of be here so we've got that we've got our website very active Facebook page um, Instagram and um, you know we do some printed advertising in magazines but for people to get to know what who we are and what we do the best place to go is our website and uh, our Facebook page Um, those are the, the best places to go Awesome. Well, Karen, thank you so much for um, taking the time out of your day to chat with me about the work you guys are doing. Well, thank you, Kashia. It's, we're very happy that you reached out to us and um, I'll give you our email address or tell your listeners yeah. our email address. So if they do want any um, information, it's uh, info, I-N-F-O at K-Y-E-A-C dot org. And that's where you can get information. Awesome. And I will also add that in the show notes just so that people have okay. that spelling yep. more clear. Um, I know sometimes right. people have a hard time hearing it. So awesome. Right. Well, thank you. This has been so amazing. Thank you, Kashia. We really appreciate being on the show. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Animal Rescue Podcast. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe and tell your friends. Thank you.